You're listening to the Sunday service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi. Matthew, chapter 19. It's very short. It's one question and it's an answer Peter asks in this case. Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What will we receive? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the answer you gave to this question and we ask you, would you address us in a similar way as you've been speaking to your disciples? Would you, would you open this answer that you gave up to us today? In your name we pray. Amen. Um, a hundred times over, that's what I would like to give as a, as a title um, today to this, to this message. And um, I want to start by asking you, um, when you have... The last time lost something, do you, do you remember having lost something? Um, when in your life, maybe in the last weeks, month, year, have you lost something? Something that you regretted to lose, but you lost it. Um, two weeks ago I lost my, or three weeks ago I lost my keys, all of them. House keys, car keys, work keys, bike key, everything. Um, I would not have wanted to, to lose them, but I lost them, you know. Actually, a few days ago I thought I had lost my new keys also, so I've been looking for them for three days, but, but those I found, so I have not yet lost those. But, you know, maybe you have lost something. Why this question? Well, in a way this is what Peter hints at, isn't he? Uh, the context is that Jesus has been just talking with that young man, we don't know his name, who's been coming to Jesus, uh, interested in the kingdom of God, and, and really eager, it seems, to, to please God. And he's asking Jesus, I've done all these things already in my life, is there anything I can do to please God even more? And Jesus looks at him and says, well, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. And then we read that the man went away sad because he had great wealth, many possessions. And I don't know, did Peter in response to that say to Jesus, look, Jesus, we've, we've left a lot, we've left everything behind. We've done that, what not everybody is willing to do. So what's in it for us? I don't know, was Peter comparing themselves to, to others who have not left as much behind? Um, and I don't know if you, if you sometimes we're asking similar questions in your life, comparing yourself with others where you thought, you know, that decision that I made, was it worth it? 
I often think about us being here in Finland. It was uh, the best decision we've ever made. It was great for our marriage and for so many things. But then sometimes when I talk with you know, friends in Germany, um, see the cars they drive, the, the holidays they can afford, then sometimes I'm thinking, hmm, was that the right decision? Uh, then there's these moments where you have doubts. But, but Peter is asking that question not about anything, but about that thing. He's saying, Jesus, following you, was that, is that really worth it? Is there something in it for us? And I really love that Jesus is not rebuking Peter. You know, sometimes he's telling Peter or someone else or the disciples all together in very harsh words that they again haven't grasped something. In, in this instance, Jesus is taking this question seriously. He's giving actually a very encouraging answer and we will jump to that answer in a moment. But at the same time, as Jesus is answering the question, he is also agreeing with Peter that yes, you have lost something, you have left something behind. Peter, uh, Paul, in the reading Hokan read to us, is saying something similar, and he's saying, for his, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, which indicates I have not done this entirely voluntarily. There's probably some things Paul has lost that he would not have wanted to lose, but he did lose them. He had to lose them. He suffered that loss for Jesus. And that's what we always have to remember, even when we invite people on an Alpha course, to meet Jesus, to, tell, to talk about faith. We, we, we have to mention that as well, that following Jesus, there's a cost attached to it. I read about this Indian guy um, born into a wealthy family, rich parents in the kind of higher Indian society. But they were Hindus and when he became a follower of Christ, um, they, they threw him out of the house, they disinherited him, they uh, forbid, forbade any relatives to ever speak with him again. Actually, they had a funeral service for him because he was dead in their eyes. And then for many weeks, he was walking the streets of Bangalore, sleeping outside until he found a, a church, a con congregation that he could become part of. Um, that's what it costs some people in this world to follow Jesus. Uh, I think of my own upbringing, Eastern Germany, or all these communist countries, many have the same fate, like, like my mom, if you're a Christian, you don't go to upper secondary school, you don't go to university, you cannot take certain jobs, you cannot travel. There's many, many things that just because you're a Christian, you cannot do. You cannot, even when you play an instrument very well, you cannot go to that instrument academy. If you're good in sports, you cannot join that sports team because you're a Christian. You lose things. Um, Following Jesus might have a cost. It looks differently. It is not always materially. It's, it's, um, but there's losses involved. Um, as much as we like it or not. But Jesus gives an answer to the question. And in a way he says, yes, it's worth it. There is something in for you. Everyone, everyone will receive 
a hundredfold, a hundred times as much in comparison to anything they might have lost or left behind. In other words, abundantly and immeasurably more, and on top of that, will inherit eternal life in God's new world. Jesus says, yes, it's worth it. But I've been wondering, what is a hundredfold? What does it mean? What is this thing that we receive already in, in this life? And you know, there's many right answers. We could talk about you know, the gift of forgiveness. We could talk about hope that, that we have as Christians. Hope in, in the most hopeless situations, even when life ends. Um, talked today in the morning service with, with someone who was very openly talking about, maybe I'm not going to live much longer. But you know, there's hope if we are Christ followers. Um, you know, the, the gift of the church, the gift of community, many, many things are part of this hundredfold that we receive. But I think at the heart of it is something else, something deeper, something that actually is at the heart of all these other things. And this is how Paul put it, that thing that I think it is all about. Paul said, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, knowing Christ. I think that is, that is a hundredfold. That's what it means. And I stopped as I read this and I was thinking very long. To what extent do I know Jesus right now? What does it mean to know Jesus? Then we started this conversation at, at dinner with, with the family, with the kids. And I was asking the question, what does it mean? What do you think it means to know Jesus? We read that verse together. A very interesting conversation. We realized that there's many, many things you can, there's many ways of knowing. You can know about someone. You can, know, you can know a lot of things about a good friend, their hobbies and, and so on. You can know that somebody exists and you don't see them, but you know they live in another country. You, you know about them. But actually this, this kind of knowledge is something else. When, when the Bible talks about knowing, the, the, the word in, in both Old and New Testament usually means, yeah, both also knowledge, but it, it actually is, is practical, it's experiential knowledge. Um, Psalm 139, a beautiful prayer. David, David is um, describing what it means that God knows us. It's the same concept. And then he says, Lord, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Before I do anything, you're aware of it. You surround me, behind me, before me. You lay your hand upon me. And David says, this knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, I cannot, I cannot understand it. In the, in the Old Testament, the word for knowing can also mean loving. And when David says, God, you know me, he, can also, he says, God, you love me. Actually, it's the same word that is used to describe when a husband and a wife come together intimately. The word the Bible uses, they know each other. 
And then Paul talks about knowing Jesus. This is what he talks about. Um, and it's difficult to put into words. It's the, the most intimate, close knowledge. Um, a relationship that is, you know, brings intense satisfaction is marked by deepest affection. This is what Paul says. This, this is worth more than anything else. You can know a lot of things about Christ. I can know a lot of things about Christ. I have hundreds of books, thousands of books that talk about Christ. But knowing about Christ is nothing compared to knowing Him personally. Him. As He's standing now next to me and sitting next to you. As, as we can talk to Him and He wants to talk to us. At the end of the day, this is why we invite people on Alpha. We are not, we're not trying to give them the best reasons apologetically why faith makes any sense. We hope and pray that they meet Jesus and we know exactly that we cannot do anything about it. But Paul says that that's the thing. And I think Jesus, I think what he is saying is what he's saying in all the Gospels with all these many words. I'm the the bread of life, I'm the light, I'm the way, it's me. A hundred times, that's Jesus. All the disciples, almost all of them lost their life. They were killed, murdered, they suffered. They, they didn't have nice lives. They lost everything at the end of their life. What was hundredfold could not have been anything that we maybe would like to think of. But they had this knowing Jesus. And what remains is to ask, what is our response to that? How, how do we respond? I would have loved to interview the disciples after that conversation with Jesus. Does it make sense to you? What do you say now? But what do we say? What do I say? What do you say? Peter asked, Lord, what do we get out of it? Is it worth it? And I think actually we are challenged to ask another question. What do you want to get out of it? What do you want to get out of following Jesus? What do you want to get out of life? What is your greatest ambition? What do you want? What do you want? What would you like to get? Are you hoping that, you know, Jesus helps you with your sickness, with your finances, with your career? Are you, are you hoping that he makes your otherwise good life a little bit more special? Or maybe your otherwise empty life, a little bit more fulfilled? What is it that we want from him? He's sometimes asking the very disciples that then followed him that question at the beginning. What do you want? Paul said earlier, I count everything as loss. Everything that I had in my life, everything up until this point, everything I treasured, everything I, I consider a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but 
having a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Do you have that righteousness? Do you have that gift? Let me ask you a few questions. How would you respond? Um, First question. If you disobey Christ, if you do something that you're pretty sure God is not honored by it, be it a word that that you say or something you do or don't do, do you think that you're less of a Christ follower because of that? Or if someone were to ask you, are you a Christian? Um, Would you say in your heart, yes, I am, but not a very good one? Or let's say in this coming week, you would manage to every morning get up early, read for half an hour the Bible and pray. and, And you would share with one person that is not a Christian about Jesus. Maybe you would invite five people to the next Alpha course. And next Sunday, you would come to the service And you even would serve in some capacity, like Nana or the Sunday school teachers or anybody. Do you think that you would be more acceptable to God, more lovable? If you answer yes to any of these questions, you have not received the righteousness that Paul talks about. Because it's a righteousness that is not based on anything we do or don't do. It's a gift. It's Jesus. And then Paul continues telling us what is his ambition. What, what is his life about? If he would ask Paul, Paul, what do you want to get out of your life? A degree, more money, more fame, planting many churches, raising more leaders. Paul, what is your greatest ambition? Paul is saying, I want to know him power of his resurrection, share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Do you see he's turning it around, Jesus suffered first and then he rose from the death, but for us Christians, for Christ followers, everything starts with experiencing the power of God. That's why we can follow Jesus in the first place, the power of the Holy Spirit. But as we follow Jesus, we are not following a dead model. We are following a living Savior. And the living Savior gave us his model and his model led into suffering. This is how Jesus saved the world. Which is by following Jesus, wanting to know him, will include becoming like him in his death. When Paul says sharing his sufferings, this is the deepest sharing possible, a relationship that... Actually, we also do as church, we share with each other, we share life. But if you want to share life with Jesus, and even if you want to share life with each other, we have to face up to suffering. Just have to read and pray through the prayer requests every Sunday. We have so many people who suffer so badly in our church. And the the answer is not that all the suffering goes away. The answer is that Jesus comes into the suffering. And if you follow him, if you want to live close with him, He's asking us to come with him, to follow him. Paul says, I want to know Jesus. That's my ambition. That's all I want. Him whom I know already. Him whom to know is 
this all-surpassing gift that in comparison to that, everything else is worth absolutely nothing. I want to know him even more. It's all my life is about. I want to close with um, a short testimony, a story about um, a Franciscan, a Franciscan priest, a Catholic priest, Dominique Boyot, who um, was ministering in Paris with other Franciscan monks, friars, and um, when he was 54, 55, he was diagnosed with incurable cancer, so he knew he would very soon die and nothing could be done about it. So he asked um, his brothers if it would be okay that he would move for the rest of his life to a very poor uh, neighborhood in Paris, um, take up a job as a, as a night watch in a factory, and if he would just spend his days in this, in this neighborhood. So he would take on this job at night from you know, 10 in the evening to 6, 7 in the morning. And then every morning, 8 a.m., he would come from that work and he would simply walk the streets and sit on a bench. And um, rough neighborhood, so you know, people who were coming by were often drunk, um, were making comments towards ladies, would be cursing all the times, but he would never say anything. He would never judge anyone, he would never confront anyone, he would just be there. But over time, people started to, to talk with him. And he just shared life with them. And it became more and more who knew him and were somehow touched by his lifestyle. Um, until one morning, he didn't sit on any of the benches. And soon after that, somebody found out that he had passed away, that he had died in the previous night. Uh, to his funeral came 7,000 people who had known him. And um, one of his brothers, Franciscan brother, he found his diary. He's been journaling every day. And the last entry in his journal, the day before he died, reads this. All that is not the love of God has no meaning for me. I can truthfully say that I have no interest in anything except the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. If God wants, my life will be useful through my words and witness. If he wants, my life will bear fruit through my prayers and sacrifices. But the usefulness of my life is his concern, not mine. It would be indecent of me to worry about being useful. All I care about is the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I think he was exactly saying in his own words that his life, his life's ambition was this saying that if I'm any use, that's not my concern. If I have any impact in the lives of this world, even in the lives of Christ followers, of no concern to me. The only concern I have is knowing Jesus and his love. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we are, we are humbled that so easily, even as we follow you, as we say we follow you, as we pray to you, as we read your word, we make life about ourselves. We make faith about ourselves. We again start to measure ourselves, thinking about how useful we are. And you point us into another direction. You invite us to make our lives entirely about you. And you promise us as we do that, as we make our lives greatest ambition to know you, that we will receive far more abundantly than anything we would have given away, anything we would have lost, any loss we would have suffered for you. Lord, we want to know you, the power of your resurrection, but also your suffering, becoming like you as we follow you. Thank you that you remind us that your love is the beginning of everything, and it's also the end. Once let us this, this week hear about your love, pursue us, take us to the site, Draw us out of our business, busyness. Draw us away from focusing on many things. Draw our focus to you again and again. This we pray in your name. Amen. You're listening to the Sunday service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi.